What a blessing to be here. I always look forward to coming to Westside to preach, to speak. Good to see so many familiar faces. Trust you're doing well and are blessed of our Lord. In Matthew 24, beginning in 34. Matthew 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, beginning in 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him there in 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And Mark adds, with all your strength. You see, that's the entirety of human existence. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus is saying we are to love the Lord our God with every bit of our existence, with every fiber of our being. And then the second, well, 38 says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To hang the law and the prophets on these two commandments is to say that the law and the prophets and all their writings collapse without this greatest commandment and the next one. We have to love the Lord. We have to lo love the Lord with all that's within us, heart, soul, mind, strength. And then we have to share that love with others. Uh, and the reference here... Uh, to hang the law, all the law, on, this, on these two commandments. Uh, let's just go back and realize that God has always been about loving, loving one another, loving Him. That's Old Testament as well. I'm going back to Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. This is no new commandment. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house 
and on your gaze. Without this, without this love, everything else falls flat. It fails to accomplish what God intended. God has always been about love. First John, God is love. Everything about God is, is love. You're familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We'll stop there for a moment. That's showing God's love for us. Let me suggest to you, for God so loved that He made the world. Why do I say that? God is love. We all understand, though, that love has to have an object. That which is to be loved. We can perceive ourselves as a loving person, but if we don't project that love out to others, we're not really fulfilling love. Love has to be expressed. It has to be given. It's what we do for someone else that expresses our love. So, for God so loved the world, what did that love prompt Him to do? Give His only begotten Son. Well, before there was a world, here's God with His love, but no object for that love. So think about the possibility of one of the reasons why perhaps God created the world was to be an object for His love. And you say, well, didn't God know that Adam and Eve were going to sin and that the whole world would turn? Later on in Genesis uh, 6, the Lord saw that every thought and intent of man's heart was only evil continuously. Did not the Lord know that was going to happen? Certainly He did. Is there anything God does not know? Did not know? No, He knows everything. He knows what the future holds. So then, if he knew we were going to sin, why did he go ahead and, and make us? Because that's, that's what love does. He had, Ephesians 3, the eternal purpose of extending salvation in Jesus Christ. Eternal purpose. That means it was never, there was never a time when that thought that plan was not in the mind of God. Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3.15 is this first veiled prophecy of the cross. As you study the scriptures more and learn more, you'll see the prophecy of Jesus on the cross in Genesis 3.15. From the time Adam and Eve sinned, God was headed to the cross. Yes, he knew we would sin, but he also knew he would provide a Savior. Because that's what, that's what love does.
God is our loving Father. Let's go back to 1 John and look at some passages in that wonderful, amazing book. John called the apostle of love because he spoke so much about it. 1 John, uh, beginning there in chapter 4, and we'll skip around somewhat. 1 John 4. Getting right in to the point in verse 19. 1 John 4, 19. We just read from Matthew, Jesus saying, and from uh, Deuteronomy, Moses writing, the first commandments to love the Lord with all of your being. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love Him because He first loved us. If you needed it spelled out for you, there it is. Why love the Lord with all your being, with all your existence? Because He first loved me. Let's understand. When Jesus was hanging on the cross... God in heaven was showing love for me. The Lord himself said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And then he went and laid down his life for me. Now it's to me, to return that love. To take in all that this tremendous and amazing sacrifice means. To understand that I would be eternally condemned without it. Just what I need, God provides. He gave his son. Why? Because he loves me. And he's put it out there before me. He's told me in his word, this is why I did it, because I love you. You are my son, my child. That should just totally overwhelm us. The very thought of the creator of all that exists, God of heaven and earth and of the universe, whatever's out there for a billion miles and then a billion more, the one who made it not only knows me and my name, but loves me individually. He has shown that love in so many ways, but the the top of the stack of reasons how he has shown his love is giving his son for me. It's beyond our ability to fully comprehend this greatest of expressions of love. But we're called upon to do the best we can with it 
and to keep discerning the love of God every day in our lives, providing for us everything that we need, yes, physically, but more importantly, spiritually. When the Lord himself said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, we should understand how much love this word of God shows to us, projects to us. God, by His great love, gave us His Son and gave us His word to teach about it. And from as early as Genesis 3, right on through to the end of Revelation, it's either declaring Jesus is coming or it's declaring Jesus came and He's coming again. And it's all because of God's great love for me. We should love Him because He first loved us. And I've referenced 1 John 4, 8. God is love. That's what he is. That's what he's all that's what he's all about. Everything concerning God is an expression of love. Everything about what he has done is an expression of his love. You say, "Well, now wait a minute. There's some things in the Old Testament God did that don't seem to express and show love in my thinking." What is it, Isaiah 55? My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. What makes us think that we have the wisdom and the knowledge that we can call God into question and actually stand up and think we can defend a position contrary to God? What was it that Job said? Something about if I debate with him for a thousand years, I will never win. Something along those lines. You, you cannot put yourself in God's shoes, so to speak. We don't have the knowledge, the wisdom, nor the love. You say, well, how is it these things back in Kings and Judges, how is it those things that God did express love? Just keep in mind where God was headed. There is that woven thread through the scriptures expressing God's love. It's all about His Son and what His Son has done for us. And all these other things had some role to play. Uh, whether you're talking about somewhere in Nehemiah or Esther or Job, some of the Psalms, whatever it is you're talking about, there's something in all those books that points you to Jesus that says something about the Son of God and His work on this earth. While we're in 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The uh, 
topic, loving God and loving us, I'm perceiving as the church, brethren, let us love one another. I've talked a little bit about loving God and all of these, they're so intertwined. You can't just say, well, Roman numeral one, I'm going to talk about loving God. Well, you can do that for a few verses, but you're going to find the next thing that loving us, loving others, loving the brethren is wrapped in there somewhere. And then finally, you can't separate out from loving God and having love for yourself. It, it, it's all tied together. It overlaps as it should. But just as God had uh, an object of love, so must we. Verse 7 again, Beloved, let us love one another. We have love. What's the object of our love in this text? One another. It is the case that we must love one another, for love is of God. Think about all the good things that you're aware of, all the righteous things and all the good people, people of faith that you admire. And then flip it over and think about all the evil that you're aware of. And maybe you know some people who are evil. Maybe you know of some things that some people have done that are evil. Maybe you know people who are actually in their heart dark. The love, the good things, the people who are righteous and are loving, these are people of God. That's the way it works. God and His love leads us to do righteousness, to do good things that bring joy and encouragement and help to other people. Jesus said the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies and he was a murderer from the beginning. And that's all that he will ever do for anyone is to bring evil into their lives and into the lives of those around them. As Christians, we can so easily see there's a line of separation. Here we have God in righteousness, good things on one side, and then we have the devil and death and destruction and misery and condemnation on the other side. We can see this so clear. And from a study of the Word, we can see it coming down the road. We can see temptation coming toward us. And if we're strong in our faith, loving the Lord the way that we should, as that temptation gets to us and we see it for what it is, just cross over to the other side of the road. Get over here where the Lord's walking. You see His footsteps. And get over there and walk in those footsteps. As we're doing that, the temptations that the devil throws at us, they're not going to overcome us. We are focused on that which is right and that which is of love. 
Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Look over here in 1 John 3, verse 1. Talking about is born of God. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Don't you just love the way that flows? That thought and the power of these words. Behold what manner of love. How pure and awesome. Free of any deception, of any wrong motives. It's real. It's genuine. It's of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Continuously work on building your appreciation for what that means. I am a child of God. Everything about God is what I should be about. Whatever God loves, I should love. Whatever God hates, I should hate. How is that going to change my life? Well, if we look at everything that comes our way each day through that thought, through that filter, we'll be able to separate out that which is loving and right from that which is evil and wrong. Behold what manner of God, of manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Could there be anything greater for us uh, if we became the most wealthiest, politically powerful, influential person on earth? That's not to be compared to being called a child of God. And why did the Lord bestow this upon me? You. Because He loves me. That's all. He loves me. Love is of God, for God is love. Uh, this is just beyond our ability to comprehend. And I'm sorry if I repeat that statement, but the world is so evil and wicked around us, I don't have to tell you, you know. And it's so easy for us to get pulled down by all that's going on around us that we tend to forget how great is our God and how amazing, absolutely amazing is His love. We all know Galatians 2.20. We sing that song at camp. I am crucified with Christ. Y'all know it. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
loved me. Gave himself for me. Powerful. Absolutely powerful. Indeed, behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us. The Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Some blessings God has promised to those that love Him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 may be a little out of context, but I believe the principle is there and it's a valid conclusion. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 But as it is written, eyes have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Now this is in reference to, well, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. It's talking about the revelation that God has provided for man. That's the things that God has prepared for who? For those who love Him. Be assured, the more love you have for God, and the more that love grows, the more you're going to gain in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God's Word. God has revealed them to us. To who? Those who love Him. It's hand in hand. And the more you study and learn and grow in knowledge and wisdom and faith from studying the Word, the stronger your love for the Lord becomes. You see, it just... Just as, just as surely as sin is a vicious cycle over here going nuts, righteousness and love and the re revelation of God's Word is over here just building and strengthening and encouraging. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us. Um... Hebrews 4.15, another blessing that God has promised for those that love Him. Hebrews 4.15, talking about Jesus Christ, our high priest who's passed through the heavens. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. A lot of things significant in this verse, and yet we're focusing on a benefit and a blessing of loving God. Jesus is our high priest in heaven. The priest made sacrifices in the temple. Jesus made one sacrifice on the cross once for all time for us. And He has entered into the most holy place in heaven. 
He is our high priest there. He's our go-between. He saved us from our sins by His blood. But He's not... The double negative here, it's hard to make it to the positive. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. How? Because he was tempted just like we are in every point. When we bow down, when we plead to God for strength to endure some temptation, Jesus, our high priest in heaven, can sympathize with us. He knows what we're going through. That in itself should give you strength and encouragement. Resistance to the devil. You don't have to go through this world of evil by yourself. Here's our high priest who can sympathize with us. He can say, I understand. And he will deliver us from evil. Well, we're back here in this end of the Bible, James 1, talking about blessings that are ours as a result of loving the Lord the way we have been commanded. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Seriously, just ask yourself, have I ever prayed for wisdom? It's a blessing. God's Word tells us right here He will provide. Is this a blessing that we have neglected? Maybe we just hadn't thought about it, or maybe we don't perceive the need. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Reproach. Severe criticism. If you come in prayer earnestly to God asking for wisdom, God's not going to say, how come you're just now doing this? A severe criticism. He's going to bless you liberally with wisdom. Prayer is a blessing for those who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And here's a specific a specific request that God's word says we should be asking for. Verse 
wisdom. We can have a lot of knowledge, but be foolish with the use of knowledge. My quick definition of wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. It's not enough to know what you know, but you have to know how to use it the proper way. To me, that's what wisdom is. And while we're in James 1, drop down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Well, here's this man that, or woman that prays to the Lord as my high priest, the one who makes intercession for me to the Father, who can sympathize with me as I struggle with this temptation. And I've endured it. Blessed is the man who endures. And endures, that word suggests that it's a difficult struggle. There's a hard time going on. But you made it through. Endures temptation. For when he has been approved, been approved by who? Obviously God. He came through it. When he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised. Yes, there it is, to those who love him. There's so many of these blessings that, God's provi that God provides for those who love him the way Jesus has directed us to love him. One more. And we'll move on to something else here. First Peter 5. I, I had to bring this in. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Chapters 5, the verses are 6 and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting... All your care on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Can you imagine there are people who choose to disregard that care? And then sometimes... Christians choose to disregard that care. We find ourselves in some terrible situation. Our world is turned upside down and we're just doing everything in the world we can to try to correct it. And then somebody says, well... There's nothing else to do but to pray. Last resort. Oh, come on. Prayer should be the very first thing that a Christian does when their world is turned upside down. Not the last resort. Well, we've done everything. Cast all your care upon Him. For He cares for you. That's love. And God's there with his arms wide open, 
with all the love that is humanly possible to understand and then some pleading for us. Whatever it is that's got us heartbroken or worried, mentally down, depressed, as the saying goes, just give it to the Lord. That's what He wants to do. He wants to take that burden off of us. Why? Because He cares for us. Loving us, and I'm going to take that to mean loving brothers and sisters, loving one another, loving the church. John 13, 35. You may know that verse, but let's look at it. John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the truest, purest, surest identifying qualities of the church. All will know there's the fruit. All will know that you are my disciples. One of the reasons for loving one another is so that everybody will know that we are disciples of the Lord because we have love for one another. How many sorrows and heartaches and afflictions the church has had to suffer because brethren lost sight of this verse. We are called upon to love one another. Christ loved each one of us so much so that He gave Himself for us. Can't we love one another as brothers and sisters in Him? If He gave His life is it too much for Him to ask of us to give of ourselves in total, complete love for one another? Who was it? Abraham talking to Lot? I don't remember now. But there was division among them. They were having trouble with their flocks and their herdsmen and so forth dissension in the ranks, so to speak. And one of them said, we can't continue doing this. We be brethren. <laughs> well, that might not be proper English, but it sure is proper. We be brethren. We can't let these heathens around us see what's going on here. We be brethren. The Lord said, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. What's the qualifier? You love one another. How sad it is for any congregation of God's people for a few to forget this verse and others like it to the division of the church, to the hurt of the church, to the work in the community, 
And if you're heartbroken over something like that, just think about the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't crucified, so brothers and sisters in Christ could have division and tension, hostility toward one another. That's one of the greatest reasons for us to be sure that we have love for one another. The words of the Lord there in John 13, 35. While we're in John, John 15. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You may have a problem with that because you're thinking, wait a minute, love is an emotion and it cannot be commanded. We're talking about a different kind of love. I won't go into the difference between the Greek and the English use of the word love. That, I won't do that. That's for another study. But when the Lord's talking about love here, you know 1 Corinthians 13. You know what that passage says about love? What is it? Beginning there, uh, verse 3, He starts giving the specifics of love down through verse 8 perhaps. Here's love and the qualities of these. Please notice that there's not one thing said about your emotion. Because the love that Christ is commanding here doesn't depend on emotions. We're all old enough, mature enough to know that emotions are flighty things. You may be just so wrapped up in something one day and the next day don't even care anything about it. That's emotion. 1 Corinthians 13, love is, is solid. Some of the people here have been married 30, 40, 50 or more years. They can tell you something about 1 Corinthians 13 and love. And it's not emotion. Oh, thank the Lord there's emotion in love. The Lord intended for His people to have emotions and to not be afraid to express them, but everything in 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't require emotion. It requires that you do what love demands. In a nutshell, love always does that which is best for the other person. That's love. Love always does that which is best for the other person. Now there is a qualifier, there's a caveat here. You have to let God tell you what's best for the other person. Don't count on your wisdom. God will tell you how to treat other people with love. It's not our decision to make. The Lord has expressed these things in the Scriptures. It's our uh, duty to learn them. Also, uh, I mentioned verse 13 uh, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. I touched on that earlier. 
And here's the example of Christ giving his life for the church, for brothers and sisters in the Lord. If he would do this for our brothers and sisters and for us, what thing could we possibly be called upon to do that would be more than we should be willing to do? If love demands that we do whatever it is in the situation, then how could we possibly say, I'm not going to do it in the face of what Jesus did for them? Sometimes we lose sight, lose sight of, these, uh, of these blessings and the privilege of loving others. Loving self. Ephesians 5. And I'll be quick on this because I'm out of time. Uh, most of us don't need to have much teaching on self-love, but on the other hand, perhaps we do. Because... Loving self the way the Bible teaches it uh, isn't the way the world thinks of it. Uh, the world thinks of loving self as uh, you do what you want to do. Well, that's not the way the Bible teaches to love self. Uh, I'll get my Bible to cooperate with me and I'll get to the right page. Ephesians 5. Let's begin in 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And I'll reiterate, therefore we should be willing to give and give and give limitlessly because of our love for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Well, this isn't really getting to yet the verse I wanted, but I just can't help but to read something to you about the church. Think about this. To create something is to bring into existence something that didn't exist before. The last thing that the Lord created according to the Bible is the church. It didn't take place during creation week. The church did not exist before Jesus and His sacrifice and the resurrection and had its beginning there in Acts 2, you're familiar. He created something that did not exist prior to that. He created the church. And to my understanding, the last thing the Lord created was the church. 28 says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now we're getting there. You remember that book somebody wrote, Husbands, do yourself a favor and love your wives? <laughs> that's the, husbands, that's the absolute best thing we can do is love our wives. It'll come back. 
29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Quickly through this, love yourself. Don't beat yourself up. You know what I mean? That's not what love does. Behave to yourself as if you were somebody else treating yourself with love. See the good that's in your heart. Deal with the bad that's there. Get rid of it. Treat yourself in a wholesome way, in a healthy way. Study, study, study the Bible. Let me make this point, then I'll sit down. I'm out of time. The Bible is the only thing that you can totally, completely immerse yourself in and have the most balanced life humanly possible. I'm not talking about going inside the walls of a monastery and isolating yourself from the world and spending day and night reading the Bible. Because that's not what the Bible teaches us to do. If you throw yourself into anything totally and completely other than God's Word, your life is not going to be balanced. Uh, suppose as a younger person you got caught up in games, video games, and suppose as an adult, that's all you do. You've had to go to the doctor and have surgery because them thumbs are wore out. That's all you do. We all know that's not a balanced life. That's somebody that's throwing their life away. But they are completely immersed in that activity. And there are people who are just that crazy over some sport. And if they're not sleeping, they're involved in that sport. Well, that's just going to be a lopsided life. It's not going to be fulfilled. It's not going to be happy. Because these things cannot possibly make you happy. You believe, you think, you hope they will, but they can't. When the Lord said man doesn't live by bread alone, Matthew 4, 4, you can put anything in there instead of the word bread you want to. Man does not live by video games alone. Man does not live by his precious automobile alone. Man doesn't live by his fantastic house alone. You can plug anything in there you want to and give yourself wholly to it. There's not going to be happiness there. We've all seen people who are so immersed in their careers. It's just bite, gouge, shove, push grind continuously. They're just so caught up in it. They live for that career. Not going to be happy. The Bible tells us they're not going to be happy. Jesus tells us. You don't live by that. 
You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You immerse yourself in this book and do what it teaches. You're going to be going and doing the things God would have you go and do. Providing for your family, yes. Seeing to the needs of others, yes, that's in here. Worshiping God, gathering with the saints on the first day of the week, yes, that's in here. You see what I'm saying? You totally immerse yourself in God's Word and it will teach you to have the most fulfilled and happy life that is humanly possible to have. And why does it work? <laughs> because God loves us. Thank you. Uh, invitation? I do an invitation. All right. Uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.25 Do you believe that? Are you in the church that Christ gave himself for? Do you understand that the Son of God died for your sins? I mentioned John 3.16 of God's great love that he gave his only begotten Son. And the passage says, Whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, that He was crucified for your sins, repent of your sins, confess faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. And there you are. You've become a Christian, and now it's time to grow and grow and grow in faith. And you just give yourself to study and growth in the, in the Scriptures. It'll be a joyful day when the Lord returns. If your subject of the invitation comes, together we stand and sing.